Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today is part three of the suicidal mind. Part three. I posted two other episodes about this book, The Suicidal Mind, by Edwin Schneidman. I hope I'm not butchering his last name. I don't know how people do or discuss full-on books in one episode. An hour, 90, like none of it is enough. There's so much on a page. I could You could take a page and and go for an hour if it's a if it's a great book, right? So that's why we're breaking it down in the in the three parts. And so this is the last part. And I want to discuss the kind of the well not kind of, but the conclusion or the synopsis, the final thoughts and reflections of this book, The Suicidal Mind. And for those of you who have not tuned in to the earlier episodes, he is basically, Edwin is talking about uh, the different people that he's worked with because he himself is uh, is a professor of thanatology emeritus at the University of California at Los Angeles School of Medicine. And he's also the founder of the American Association of Suicidology and the author of Voices of Death, uh, which was nominated for a National Book Award. So he's very accomplished, and he's worked with a number of people who are who have attempted suicide, who are thinking about suicide, and who are reaching, uh, reaching, <laughs> researching suicide, right? And and so in this book, he has different case studies. That where he talks about what people's needs are, what their pain points were, uh, how to shift their perspective. And so finally in the end here, and if you want to check out those episodes, they're called Suicide, the, the Suicide Mind, Suicidal Mind Part 1 and Suicidal Mind Part 2. So this is Part 3, and he co- concludes, his final thoughts are, quote, suicide stems from psychological pain. And that that pain comes from frustrated psychological needs peculiar to each person. But the suicidal person must also have the desire or drive to escape the unbearable pain of these frustrated needs. Now, that second part is very important. This is what separates uh, suicidal suicidality from depression. Because in depression, well, I, I think it's two things. One is when we are depressed, it's kind of like a malaise. There's really not pain. There's an ennui. There's a heaviness. Almost, I don't want to say a numbness, but like a, a, uh, the pain is more of a weighted pain, like something just holding us down. Like we want to get up, but we can't. Like we just... We feel so heavy and there's not necessarily a desire to escape depression as much as it is to get out of it. It's like, how do I break out of this? 
Where with suicidality, it's more about how do we escape the pain and, um, and it being like this intense uh, pressure or pain that narrows our perspective of what our options are. It seems like suicide is the only answer. It's the, the only antidote, the only solution. It really narrows what we believe, what we see, what we think, how we feel. It's similar to addiction, where when you're in some type of emotional, spiritual, physical, psychological pain, we may turn to our drug of choice because the drug of choice has somehow hijacked our brains into thinking it's the only way out. It's the escape. This, this drug of choice will make it all better. No more pain, pure nirvana. And we know that that could be further from the truth. Because I don't know, you know, if you struggle with an addiction, you know that on the other side of that bliss, of that uh, ecstasy, comes shame, guilt, um, embarrassment. Like, there is no getting rid of the pain. There might be this temporary reprieve but it's coming right back. That pendulum's going to swing right back, and it's going to be painful. So I just want to make that distinction between depression and suicidality and, and also just the recognition that, as this book talks about, it really is a narrowing of what our options are. And you know what a good practice is? When you're watching a movie, and it's especially an action movie where a person is being pursued, maybe they're surrounded, and, it, and what makes a great action movie is that they're constantly putting our hero or heroine or the person or the group in a situation where we think or believe there's no way out. This is it. They're going to die. They're in the plane. The plane's running out of fuel. They don't have enough fuel to land. There's only land under them. They're 35,000 feet up in the sky. And, and to add on that, the plane is carrying a hydrogen bomb. So they are dead. There are no parachutes don't work. Like all the cards are stacked against them. And even if they do land the plane, there's a, a, you know, a military waiting to gun them down. So whether they stay in the plane whether they land the plane, there are zero options. And then somehow, somehow they find their way out. So I would encourage you, when you're watching a movie like that and you see them in those they're never going to get out of it situations, this is it, they're going to die, pause the movie. Pause it. And think of three options that they have. What are three ways that they can get out of that scenario, right? Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, you can cut the engine off and then let the plane 
glide, right? You can let it, you can still steer the plane a little bit and then have it glide away from the military guys and hopefully close enough to water. Uh, maybe you can have somebody disassemble the bomb so that it doesn't explode on impact. Take care of that first. Maybe you drop the bomb below and then you can, you know, land the plane and take your chances with the guys on the ground. Um, you start to realize, oh, we do have options. Maybe there's fuel in the bomb and somehow we can get the fuel out the bomb to uh, put in the engine to give us enough gas. Or if we put it on hybrid mode or um, we can call another plane to, to fuel us in the air. Like, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to give us enough breathing room to buy us time until the, the, the storm, the wave, the, 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 ch the chattering, the, 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 the bats, the attack of the bats in our brain die down. And it, 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 in the midst of it, it feels like it's going to go on forever. I, I shared with you that, uh, it, Michelle's nephew was staying with us for a few days. And there was a point where he threw a tantrum for a good, it felt like 10 days. And in reality, it was maybe 30 minutes, maybe. But when a child is throwing a tantrum, it feels like it's never going to end. Especially if you're in tight quarters if it's happened before, if you can't figure out, like, we're like, what's wrong? Are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you lonely? Do you want to go outside? Do you want to go inside? And, and everything just made them, do you want to eat? Do you want to sleep? Do you want to play? Everything just added more fuel to his fire, to his tantrum, to his yelling. It, 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 it disturbed him 10x. And we realized he didn't know what he really needed, but he, but he knew he was disturbed. And we had to have the patience and the willingness to wait it out. That's all it, that's all it was, was okay. He's thrown tantrums before. We know they don't last forever. It just feels like it goes on forever. We have to wait it out. And by the way, this won't be his last one for sure. I mean, at some point he'll grow, he'll reach an age where hopefully he's not, <laughs> hopefully he's not 18 in a grocery store, you know, stomping his feet, laying on his back, throwing things, yelling, throwing a tantrum. But the, the suicidal ideations, that wave of pain, the psychics, it's our, our brain, our body throwing a tantrum. And I was like, oh, I wish I had timed his tantrum to see how long it lasts. And I've talked about that, how certain emotions they found have a certain time limit. Like joy lasts long, longer than say happiness right happiness is 
very short, like minutes, uh, like a few minutes, where like joy uh, can last for a few hours. Uh, grief can last uh, for days, right? So certain emotions have certain time limits. And what we find is with psychics, with suicide ideations, there is a small window. It feels like it's forever. Maybe some hope, the hope, some of the residual emotions like hopelessness, helplessness, despair, um, those emotions may last a little longer. But the, this, the, that strong wave of w- wanting to escape life, small window. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't come back. It might cycle back really quickly. But the intensity is, is very small, very short. And so if we can wait it out, and, you know, in the book, The Suicidal Mind, he talks about, you know, letting go of this notion that, oh, I got this. I can do this myself. He's like, no, no, no. Seek help. Call somebody. There is so much we can do. Quote, let me quote this. There's so much we can do to understand our own tendencies, thoughts, and impulses towards suicide in an effort to turn those self-destructive impulses into life-saving knowledge. A big part of what we can do for ourselves is to get appropriate professional help when we need it. I'll give you an example. I want to highlight the part where he says, we can, if we learn and understand our tendencies, thoughts, and impulses towards suicide, then we can turn those self-destructive impulses into life-saving knowledge. So if we can take the time to understand, you know, our, the, the nephew, <laughs> um, who's throwing a tantrum, then over time we can figure out how to communicate with them in a way where it reduces the length of the tantrums. And eventually we can maybe get rid of the tantrums altogether. Maybe it's something we just, we grow out of over time um, because of other life experiences our social, our socioeconomic status changes. Like there's so many different changes that can take place. The state of the world changes. Maybe we feel more connected to the world for whatever reason um, or to our community or to our friends uh, or to our family. Like things change over time. This is a, it's a, it's a wave coming through. So if we can take the, the time to understand the impulse, like uh, I give you an example I forget what was said to me. Someone said something to me, and it it really dysregulated me. Like I, I was at like a nine. I felt I felt like a nine, um, and I realized that what they said to me triggered a feeling of inadequacy, like I wasn't enough, and it really undid me. It really undid me. But once I figured out why, once I understood it, once I understood my emotional reaction, and 
And it's key because that person could have said what they said to me to someone else and no reaction, right? It's just like you're watching a movie with someone. One person cries, the other person is laughing. The third person is neutral. They're like, I don't even like this movie. Can we go? Um, so it's, it's a reminder of how important it is for us to reflect, introspect, take the time to understand our tendencies, our thoughts, our impulses that lead to, that, that lead to these self-destructive behaviors. Because there's something about our experiences, our history, our DNA, our genetics, our past, the story we're telling ourselves, our perspective on things that's fueling this uh, self-destructive response. And if we don't get professional help, if we don't talk to someone, then we don't get that understanding. And then it becomes a boogie monster, this thing that we're always running from and terrified of. Um, Edward Snyman goes on to say, suicide is prevented by changing our perception of a situation and by redefining what is unbearable. Perceiving that there are other possible ways of seeing things, redefining the impossible, bearing the unbearable, swallowing the undigestible, bolus of shame or guilt. A, a lot of it, he, he, there's another part where he talks about, and because I, I want to add to this, is a lot of our pain comes from uh, an unhappy childhood or a perspective of a, un, right? Those are the two key words. Suicide never stems from happiness. It happens because of the stark absence of it. Suicide never stems from happiness. It happens because of the stark absence of it. So what we have to do is renegotiate our perception of our parents and rethink their role in our life or, or, or renegotiate our perception of whatever the triggering event is, whatever our childhood trauma was, Maybe it was a trauma at work. Maybe there's something going on at work, at home, with your friends in the community. But we have to renegotiate our perception of it. i give you a clear example. When I was a kid, my mom would always, quote-unquote, ask me for money that I received for my birthday or holidays. And I would give it to her because I, I was like, yeah, I got to support the house. But there was always some resentment because... I'm like, why do I have to give you my money? Now I don't get a chance to save. I don't get a chance to even dream or think about what I want because I have to give it to you. And But now as an adult, as I've taken the time to understand my mom, understand her culture, I realize that is the culture she grew up in. She's from Belize, Central America, and that was the way things were. When children had received money, they gave it to their parents. Even to this day, my mom is 71. She sends money home to her family, to our family. I said her family. We have separate families. Um, even money she doesn't have. She's constantly sending food, money, clothes. It's, it's just, when, as soon as they receive something, they 
give it back to those who might need a bit more than what they have or who might need it more than what they do. Even if they, they, they have a little, they, they still have it. It's in the culture to give back. And so once I understood, understood that my mom wasn't some evil tyrant, some dictator coming in and just taking my money, that this was the, the culture that she grew up in and that she brought with her, then I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense. So now I'm an adult, and it's like, okay, now I have to let that go and figure out what I need to do. Because even though my mom, you know, asked for my money, or I felt like she was taking my money, she also put me through private school, kept the roof over my head. It was always food in the fridge, clothes on my back. Like I never, I never needed, I never needed anything, or never wanted. I, I you know, I, I didn't. How, wait, how do you say that? But but all the things that I was provided for adequately. And so he concludes the book by saying, suicide involves both inner disturbance and the idea of death as an escape. But it is simply good sense not to commit an irrevocable suicide during a transient per- perturbation in the mind. Perturb perturbation. (laughs) So basically he's saying, he says, never kill yourself while you are suicidal. You can, if you must think about suicide as much as your mind wishes and let the thought of suicide, the possibility that you could do it, carry you through the dark night, night after night, day after day, until the thought of self-destruction runs its course and a fresh view of your own frustrated needs comes into clearer focus in your mind, and you can at last pursue the realistic aspects, however dire, of your natural life. So that, so I love he says, never kill yourself while you're suicidal. But let the thoughts run its course. Let it, let, let, let the, let the kid have a tantrum. Night after night, day after day, until the self-destruction runs its course. And Here's what's beautiful. He says, a fresh view of your own frustrated needs comes into clearer focus in your mind, and you can at last pursue the realistic aspects, however dire, of your natural life. So it's beautiful. On the other side of that tantrum, we'll get a fresh view of our frustrated needs, and then we can pursue the realistic aspects. Because a lot of times we have these grandiose expectations of life and of people, but now we can settle into the realistic aspects, no matter how dire they are. But it's realistic, it's grounded, and it's of our natural life. And that's how he ends the book. And what's beautiful is, you know, my nephew he threw the tantrum for about 30, or Michelle's nephew threw a tantrum for about 30 minutes, and then started playing with some blocks, you know, that's all he needed. He needed something to, <laughs> I don't know if that's why he threw the tantrum, but he, he definitely found his peace, calm, and serenity. So I hope you find your peace, calm, and serenity, or recognize that on the other side of that tantrum, 
if you let it run its course, and and this means, by the way, that we don't stuff it down or run away from it or hide from it with food, drug, you know, with one of our addictions or or some maladaptive behavior that makes our suffering even worse. You know, uh, I got that episode, the two darts of suffering. Um, check that one out. And renegotiate your perspective on whatever's happened to you. Renegotiate it in a way that empowers you. And if you're finding it challenging to renegotiate it, then that means uh, you you require maybe a deeper understanding. You don't you don't have enough information to have a deep enough understanding of what contributed to the situation and contributing to your pain. You don't have enough understanding about yourself and what you need and how you work. And you don't also may not have enough understanding of the person or the event. So, you know, this, what I'm saying is it requires effort. It requires work. And, and if you have the mentality of, well, people should just be kind and fair. Life is just, I mean, I'm not kind and fair to everyone. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sure you, if you ask enough people, they're like, yeah, man, all right, man, Leo's, Leo's a, a, a jerk, man. I don't like that guy. He's a poopy face. Like, I'm not, I, I'd, I'd love to be kind and nice to most people. I'm not going to say to everybody, but we're human. It's part of the human experience. Part of it's. Part of being human is being selfish and, you know, unkind and unfair sometimes. And it sucks. But we have to renegotiate our perspective so that we can get clarity and see another day. And if it's a challenge for you, then talk it out, walk it out, write it out. Get help. And you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get your 10% off your first month now. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. And remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling the 988 or any of the other um, (laughs) suicide prevention hotlines out there. I'm recording this uh, later than typical. So, like, my my energy just went And I did it after dinner, which is ridiculous. But you can uh, call, chat, text. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.